Take your Bibles, brethren, and turn to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. I had the privilege of going down to New Jersey for a set of meetings down there. And uh, I had the privilege to hear a message on heaven. And I'm not going to preach the same message, but but, uh, I'd like to give you a little bit of what he said as well. He's 85 years old. Loves the Lord and is laboring hard for the Lord. I uh, looked him up and he had preached the Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday school in Texas. Then got over to the meetings for Tuesday to preach about five more times at the uh, meetings there in New Jersey. 85 years old and uh, just keeps working and laboring for the Lord. And uh, I, I pray that when I, if I ever get to get to 85, which is debatable, <clears throat> That, uh, that I'll be laboring for the Lord and doing the things that God has for me to do. And, uh, and you pray that God would use you when you turn 85 as well. I uh, pray that He'd use you today. Uh, you may be 15, 14, 12, 25, 48, 53. God has a great plan for your life. And it includes what we see here. In Revelation chapter 7. Heaven is a very big place. Heaven is a very big place. And the bigness of heaven and the expanse of heaven is not only to show that God can make big things. There is a city called the New Jerusalem. It is going to be bigger than any city that has ever been made by man because it is going to be made by the hands of God. The city in which Abraham waited for, looking for that city which was made by the hands of God, that's that New Jerusalem that one day we're going to see and it is huge. The Scripture even goes ahead and gives us the dimensions. And... The distance in furlongs ultimately comes out to be, if you can envision it with me, from Rhode Island down to Florida, from Florida over to Texas, from Texas up into Colorado and back, square. But then the Lord goes ahead and says, let me blow your mind, because I can do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask and think. I'm going to make it that high. (laughs) It's about 1,500 miles long, wide, and high. And I tell you what, we are going to be in awe of what God made, but what we are going to be more in awe of beyond the very presence of Jesus is the multitudes of people that are there. So great that they cannot be numbered by man. You know, there are tickers that tell us with very close approximation how many people are in the world today. It's ticked over 7 billion. 7 billion people in the world today. In the next 10 years, it will climb over 8 billion. That's a multitude. Still numbered. (laughs) Heaven is going to be big because there are going to be multitudes of people there that cannot be numbered. And they're going to come from everywhere around the world. (laughs) We're going to go there and we're going to find out that in all our 
Western pride, they're probably going to be a lot more folks who have skin with a different color than ours. In fact, I know it's true. There are going to be folks there with a different color skin than us, with a different culture than us, but who have believed the same truth that the salvation comes from Jesus Christ alone. It is by Jesus Christ that they have been saved. We're going to find people there who when they were on this earth, they had bones going through their nose. (laughs) We're going to find people there who put things, tattoos on their face. (laughs) It's a big movement today, putting tattoos on your face. I would discourage you to do that. God made you just the the way you are and it is good. But even so, they on this earth, they had tattoos on their face. They had all kinds of ear piercings that caused the lobes of their ears to be as big as their fist. They could put their fist through it. God's going to give us a new body. And it's going to be perfect. (laughs) They'll be given that new body. There are going to be folks there with black skin and yellow skin and red skin colored. By the way, brethren, did you know the only difference between us and me being a a Caucasian and someone who is as as, uh, black as night is how much melanin is in our skin, in our DNA? It's the only difference. We're all colored. The shade, the only difference of shading has to do with the, the, the melanin in our body. It's the only difference. The scripture tells us that we are all of one blood. There wasn't an originator of European people, an originator of African people, an originator of Native American people, an originator of people out in the eastern parts of the world. Adam and Eve were the first two. And from them came all the population of the world today. And one day. We're going to be in heaven with a multitude of people that cannot be numbered. And I want you to notice what the Scripture says with me here in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne Uh, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. We're going to be there, brethren, and we are going to see all the faces of all those people crying out. And we're going to be crying out too. Sometimes I wonder if people are laughing at me as I sing And lift up my voice. You can laugh. (laughs) Go ahead. But the reason I I sing with a loud voice is because I look forward to heaven. Now you may not, and praise God for it. You praise God in your quietness. God will use it. Amen. But I praise the Lord that I can lift up my voice. And one day, brethren, we're all going to cry with a loud shout. Unless you're not going to be there. (laughs) Because it doesn't say, and half cried out with a loud shout. It says, the multitudes did, and they were from everywhere. And we're going to be there if you know Jesus is your Savior. Because I want you to notice what it says. And cried out with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God. Now, this is not God is being saved. It is that it is by God that we can be saved and Him alone. Which God? 
Because aren't there multitudes of gods in the world? There's one God and one Creator and one Mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. Saying salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Which God is the salvation of the world and the multitudes of each one of these people all believing the same thing. The salvation is from the Lamb. Amen? Jesus Christ and Him alone. And brethren, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to be crying out with all types of people. And you're going to say, this is good. (laughs) You are going to be there and you're going to be worshiping the Lord and you're going to be excited with all the excitement you've ever been excited about. It's going to be a wonderful day worshiping the Lord with all those people, isn't it? I am, you say you're a pastor, it shouldn't be the way, and I agree. I'm not a people person per se. (laughs) I find it difficult to be around people. It's like a challenge each time. (laughs) Somebody said I'm the coffee pastor because I invite folks to go get coffee. I want to be honest with you, it's not easy. I'd rather be alone in so many ways, but... I praise the Lord to be able to sit down with people and talk and get to know and enjoy what God's doing in their life and even help them in their walk with the Lord. If ever I get a chance to help somebody in their walk with the Lord, what a great privilege it is. But it's not the privilege just for pastors. It's the privilege of all saints to be able to exhort one another daily. But there's going to come a day where we are all going to be face to face with all kinds of other people. Heaven. Heaven is a wonderful place. It's been said that we as Christians can be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. There have been those who have studied these things out a little bit and they found out that the folks who have done the most for the world happen to be the ones that thought most about heaven. That's an amazing thing. If you were to go back in history in America in the mid-1800s and look at the folks who were instrumental in the slave trade being stopped in this nation. You know who was leading the charge? Christians. And you know what they talked about all the time in their writings? Heaven. And you know they talked about the very slaves who were being whipped in Louisiana being in heaven with them. You can read Uncle Tom's Cabin. And you can read the the very lady who wrote these things. And you can read about heaven. An amazing thing. Same thing in England in the 1700s. You know who the people were who were instrumental in the slave trade being stopped in the British Empire? It was Christians. You know what they talked about all the time? Heaven. You can look at the missionaries who went around the world not to bring white culture. Did you know the greatest missionaries who have gone around this world did not go to bring white culture? That is a lie. Hudson Taylor went to China, grew his hair long, and shaved his head with just one little ponytail 
and he'd put on the robes of a Chinese man and the, the slippers of a Chinese man and said, I am here and I'm China and I'm bringing the gospel. That's what Hudson Taylor did. You can see the same thing with Adoniram Judson and William Carey and their wives and their children. They became the people in which they ministered to. It is a lie that Christians went to bring a white culture. They brought Christ to the world. They ate the Chinese food and the African food. May God help us to understand history and not be fooled by those who would like to rewrite it. Heaven's a wonderful place. And it's a place that God would have us think about. And to want to be there. Think about it every day. Thinking about heaven's not going to keep you from doing the work that God has for you here. I want to give you a quote. I don't often give quotes. And uh, I know it's controversial to speak about guys because we're all going to find things to disagree about about their ministries. C.S. Lewis wrote this, though, in Mere Christianity. This was quoted at the conference, and I, I began to think about it. It's a good quote. I want you to listen to what he says. Hope is one of the theological virtues... Hope in heaven is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things that a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves, who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Listen to what he says here. Aim at heaven and you will get the earth thrown in. Aim at the earth and you will get neither. Brethren, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, you are going to heaven. You will be eternal in the heavens with Christ Jesus forever and ever. You will get a new resurrected body and you will go to that place in which there is no more tears and no more pain and no more death and no more suffering. You are going to go to that place where there will be many entryways and not one of them will have a lock. You won't have to go to your bank and put it in uh, your most valuable possessions in a safety deposit box. (laughs) 
You won't have to be afraid of what somebody may be teaching your children. You won't have to be afraid of what someone thinks about you. You ever been afraid about what someone thinks about you? I sometimes find myself afraid that someone thinks something bad about me. You're in heaven, nobody's going to think bad about me. You know what? In heaven, you're not going to think bad about anybody. You're not going to have one evil thought about one person there. Not one. Now, if you could lift your hand and say, I never have evil thoughts, I would probably propose to you that you're a liar. <laughs> because that would be so far different from my experience that it would be something that would I, I couldn't prove that it's true, but it would be hard for me to believe. <laughs> Because I've found myself thinking evil thoughts and had to stop. But in heaven, I'm not going to think one. I'm not going to wonder if someone's trying to get me. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place. There are going to be folks from all over the world there. From every tribe, tongue, and nation. From all peoples, they're going to be there. And I'm looking forward to that day. It's been said that you can look through the Old Testament and you don't find much about heaven. I was listening to a very prominent speaker amongst conservative circles. He's a Jew. And he said, you just won't find heaven in the Torah. You just won't find it there. He doesn't believe there's a heaven. The truth is, is in the Old Testament... God does not reveal all there is to reveal. He hasn't revealed all there is to reveal yet. But He has given to us in this day mysteries to know. Did you know that? When the Scripture says that uh, God has mysteries, the very next sentence says, and we know. How do we know? Because of what the Bible says. We know more about heaven today than they ever knew in the Old Testament because the New Testament gives us more about heaven. But in the Old Testament, they most certainly were looking forward to the resurrection. They were most certainly looking forward to eternity in the place in which they would be made perfect and forever be with the Lord. I want you to turn with me to the book of Job. Job, verse uh, chapter 19. Job, chapter 19. Job is right before the book of Psalms. Job 19. Job 19. Many, I personally believe that Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Most Christian scholars do. Older than even the first five books. Job lived before Moses. Now, Job would be put in the timeline somewhere in the first five books of the Bible. And very likely was in the time frame of when Abraham himself lived. Job was a very godly man. The scripture says that he was righteous and in all his ways perfect. This didn't mean that he wasn't a sinner and God even called him out by the end of the book. 
But I want you to notice what Job himself said in his darkest hour, where all his children had been killed, where all his wealth had been gone, was gone, where all his his uh, animals that he had, had that made him rich they were dead, where the buildings that he had around his property were falling down, and the only thing he had his left was his wife, who said, "Why don't you just curse God and die?" That caused Job to go sit in ashes for a week. But I want you to notice what he says to his friends. In Job chapter 19, starting there in verse 25. Actually, start there in verse 23. Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. That they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. Praise the Lord that when God writes something down, He writes it down forever. (laughs) But I want you to notice verse 25. For, now He said, I wish this was written down. I wish that this would be written down forever. He doesn't say that anywhere else. He He gives all kinds of things throughout the book. But this, He says, this I wish was written and people would know it forever and ever. By the way, from this time that this book was written, up until now, we get to see what Job was talking about. What did he say? For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that He shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. I'll tell you who the Redeemer is. It's Jesus Christ. Job didn't know His name, but he knew that he had a Redeemer. One who paid the price for his sin. And he said, one day, he's going to step foot upon the earth. Now listen to what he says. He said, well, that's about Jesus. Verse 26. And though after my skin worms destroy this body. What are skin worms? If you've ever buried something in the ground and found yourself, for whatever reason, getting it out of the ground, you're going to find some things on that little thing that you buried. They're worms. Little white worms. <laughs> What are those worms doing? They are eating the body. That would happen to any one of us if we were buried in the ground without all kinds of plastic stuff put in our veins. We would, and even then, over time, you can believe it, we are going to disintegrate into the ground. For from dust we've been made and from dust we will return. So he's he's not talking about being alive. He's talking about being what? Dead. (laughs) And though... After my skin worms destroyed this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. (laughs) Did people in the Old Testament believe in eternity and seeing God even after they were dead? They did not believe that you were buried in the ground and that's all there was of you. (laughs) Now many Jews today believe this because they have taken on atheism as their religion. But any Jew who knows the Scriptures knows this. There is a Redeemer. And one day I'm going to see Him. By the way, that's true. There's not one who's not going to see Christ. But only some are going to see Christ and enter in. Others are going to see Christ and they're going to be cast into eternal fire. But Job, who knew Christ as his Redeemer, said one day... I am going to see him face to face. 
Verse 27, whom I shall see for myself and mine eyes shall behold and not another. Though my reins be consumed, though my insides be eaten away within me. And so here was a man in the midst of his darkest hour. And what was he thinking about? What did he say was most important? Eternity. What happened after death? I want you to know it's true. What is most important in our lives is what is going to happen to us after we die. (laughs) The scripture talks about this life as a vapor. The scripture talks about your life as if you were an ant. (laughs) The honest truth is, is the most important part about our existence is what happens after we leave this world. (laughs) And believing these things and thinking on these things and praying that the day comes soon does not mean that we cease living for the Lord in this one. It actually brings about a motivation to live for the Lord in this world. Why? Because of people. All those multitudes of people that we will see. And you have an opportunity to be part of bringing the gospel to those people. Amen? Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans is filled with such precious doctrine. Romans 10 is one of the greatest. Verse 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. (laughs) Jesus Christ alone is the way unto salvation. Because He died on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day and is alive forevermore. If Jesus Christ were dead, He could not save. But Jesus Christ is alive and He does save. And He's alive today and He continues to save people today. How are those people saved? By believing in Jesus who died on the cross for their sin and rose from the dead the third day. Why? For with the heart, verse 10, man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made Unto salvation, for the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. The same, uh, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. <laughs> Who can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved? All people. There's not one that cannot. Verse 14. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on Him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. You say, well, there you go. The calling of the preacher. No. 
the calling of a saint. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, you have the words of life. You know them. Jesus died on the cross for your neighbor's sins. For your children's sins. For your grandchildren's sins. For your worst enemy's sins. He died on the cross for them. And you have the message. Amen? You have it. And one day you're going to go to heaven. And if you have allowed that message to come from these lips to a person who gets saved, you're going to look on them and give praise to God that He used you in this world for that soul to be in heaven. There are going to be many people who look and say, there's John. I'm so glad that I gave the gospel to him. Many of them I can name and give praise to God so often that they were willing to speak the gospel to me. Both men and women who gave the gospel to me. I can think of Chris Duncan and I can think of Wendy Eunice. Both older in their faith who gave the gospel to me. Philip Brandy. There's some who by the grace of God they have said, I'm so glad John gave me the gospel. And if you've ever spoken the gospel, I want you to know people are going to get saved. And you may not remember their name. They may not remember it was you all those years ago that spoke about Jesus, maybe with trembling lips. But in heaven, you're going to see and they're going to see. And then I guarantee you this. If you are willing to give the gospel and to do so with much prayer and also diligence, there are going to be people who even on this earth give thanks to God that you gave them the gospel. It didn't have to be from a pulpit. It didn't have to be on a street corner. It might have been at Dunkin' Donuts. It might have been because you invite them over for dinner. But there's going to be multitudes of people in heaven because they heard the gospel and they believed it. And by the way, that's the only way anybody goes to heaven. Because they heard the gospel and believed it. May God help us. What a treasure we have. Amen. What a treasure we have. Paul said, we're confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body, to be present for the Lord. He said also, for I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is far better. 2 Timothy 4.8, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Daniel 12 in the Old Testament, and having at, 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 at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble, which has never been, never was since there was a nation, even at the same time. And 
That time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I am pleading with you to be wise. So that you might not know that everlasting contempt, but that you might have that everlasting life. Be wise and trust that Jesus died for you and that He rose from the dead. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're here today and you are not confident that if you were to die, you were going to go to heaven. You're not confident. You do not know. I want you to know you can know. It is not because of what you've done. Because there can be no confidence in that. It is in what Jesus Christ did. And He absolutely did it. He died on the cross for your sin. You have to believe that. You have to believe by faith. Because nobody saw any sins nailed to that cross. They saw Jesus nailed. And they saw Him risen from the dead. But nobody saw their sins nailed. They had to believe what Jesus said, that He died for their sins. I want you to know He did. He died to save you from the penalty that you deserve. He died to save you from hell. That's the punishment we deserve. He died to save you from eternal death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be wise. And this morning, if you have not called upon Christ as your Savior, call upon Him now. Ask Him to save you. In the quietness of the moment, I'd like to pray a prayer. It's the same type of prayer I prayed when I was 19 years old in my bedroom. I read it right off of a book. But when I prayed it, I meant it with all my heart. They weren't magic words. Jesus Christ is a great Savior. And He heard me that night in my praying, even though I was just reading words off a page. In the quietness of the moment, I like to pray that type of prayer. And even though you are just repeating them in your heart, if you believe with all your heart these things, Jesus will save you because He said He would. In the quietness of the moment, if you have not called upon Christ as your Savior, I am pleading with you, be wise. And ask Him now. Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I know, Lord Jesus, that I don't deserve heaven, but I know You died on the cross for me. You bled on that cross for me. I believe You rose from the dead the third day. And so You hear me in praying this prayer now. You are alive. You are God. You are Lord. 
And this morning, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I am sorry. Help me and save me. Give me this life with you forever. I believe in your promises and I'm asking you to save me. If this morning you ask the Lord Jesus to be your Savior, I'm going to be praying for you. I'd like to know so I can pray for you particularly. And so if you ask Jesus to be your Savior today, I won't embarrass you, I promise. I simply would ask you to do this. Lift up your eyes and look me right in the eyes. Everybody else's head's bowed so that you won't be embarrassed. But if you ask Jesus to be your Savior, look me right in the eyes and I'll know to be praying for you in your new life with Christ.